right. We are continuing in the book of Genesis. Um, hey, my name's Tim. What's yours? Hey, awesome. Good to meet you. Uh, good to have you this morning. Uh, this morning is an interesting sermon. I just want to prepare you because, um, you know, we're, we're going through the book of Genesis, and there's this section that we're in today that just has a long list of names, and I get to teach you, and we're going to read the entire chapter. Woohoo! Okay, which means this morning it's, it's more of a teaching than a preaching. Sometimes, you know, we get like super practical and like go, go deep into something. And, um, and this morning, uh, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's going to speak something to us. And, and he has something to say to you. And that, um, and that uh, as we just kind of go through these points that I have this morning, that, um, that there will be some heartfelt things. Maybe God wants to say something to you. But I'm just preparing you. Welcome to class. We're going to school, all right? That's what it's going to feel like this morning, okay, as, as we get into this this morning. Um, now, if you don't know what we do here at New Hope, we go through books of the Bible, and we create this. It's our reading plan, series guide, so that you can read the scriptures. You can get into the Bible during the week and spend time with God and, uh, and prayer, and this is just a great tool to do that. In the front, it's just an easy way to do it. It's just, just one, two, three, four, how to spend time with God. And on the back is check boxes with verses that you can read leading up to the Sundays that we preach. So you have read up this morning. You are ready to go, right, on what we're teaching, what we're talking about. And then on the bottom is always the what? Memory verse, because we want to hide God's Word in our head so it moves to our heart, changes us, so it changes how we live with our hands, right? Our head to our heart to our hands. And, um, and so that memory verse uh, for this second half is Genesis 2-3, and we're going to read this out loud together. Is everybody ready? Yep, let's go. Here we go. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. That, that God took a break and he gave us the gift of a break, right? He gave us the gift of rest and, um, and we need to learn how to do that more, I think, in the culture that we live in. We need to understand that we can trust God in rest. That We can give him a day and say, today, God, I am trusting that you're taking care of the world and even my world and the whole world. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a nap. Sound good? All right. Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, I, what's that? N-word, Tim. I never heard of that. Um, but we can rest in God because we can trust him. That's what we can do. Now, we are up to the point in the story and through the history in Genesis to where last week we talked about Noah, right? That, that Noah, when he built an ark, he was faithful to God, and God saved him, his sons, their wives, to, and all these animals, two by two, into the ark. And, uh, and then the water receded, and they were now exiting the ark to start something brand new on this planet, right? If you missed last week or any of the sermons, go back and watch them, okay? Because this, this is kind of in sequence as we're learning about our history or God's, God's story and our story, right? We're, we're learning about our beginnings. Um, so that is where we're at in this story, and he gives them a command to go repopulate the earth, like go be fruitful, <laughs> right? Go, go have babies, and let's, let's see if we can fix this thing, right? Um, and so that's where we're getting into in Genesis chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, let's get there. In Genesis chapter 9, I'm going to be starting the message reading verses 18 through 28, the end of chapter 9. And, uh, and so if you don't have a Bible, we always we want you to have a Bible, okay? There's lots of free apps that you can download on your phones. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can also grab one. There's physical Bibles on the other side of the wall uh, in those baskets. Grab one, write your name in it, take it home with you. It's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of the scriptures um, so you can read and spend time in God's Word. So, so we're going to jump into the story now where 
where the ark is open, and, and this is transitioning us into the beginnings and, and the restart of, of what we're talking about today, the nations being born. So if you have your Bible open, let's stand together um, as we read the passage to start this morning. So we're in Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 18, and I'm reading from the NIV, and this is what it says. It says, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and they covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what the youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, he will be out of his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died. God, we want to understand your word today. We want to see ourselves in your word today. We know that scripture reveals you to us, but also reveals us to us. And as we talk about all these um, individuals, in these verses and passages we're reading today, would you show us to us and reveal our hearts and our intentions before you? God, we know that your word will always accomplish what you want it to, and today that's what we're doing in faith. We're trusting your word. We'll do what it wants in our lives. And we just ask this in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. amen. Awesome. You guys can have a seat. So we start, and they come out of the ark, and all of a sudden it's weird, <laughs> right? Like, didn't, didn't God just, like, destroy the whole earth because of he, was, he was judging the whole earth? And he said, I'm flooding this whole thing, and I want to start from scratch. And then, and then we get to this point, and they're out of the ark. And it doesn't say how much time had passed, but obviously some time had passed because, you know, Noah had time to make a vineyard and make uh, grapes and then make wine. So some time had passed in this, in this moment. But then there's this embarrassing thing that happens with Noah, and this is the first scene we see of drunkenness. And just so you know, drunkenness leads to this. It, it just leads to stupid things. It leads to shame. It lead, like there's, it's never like, yeah, I was drunk and I did great smart things. You know, it's like, like this is the beginning of that. We see this with Noah naked in his tent, but then we see the, his, his son come in and there's shame attached to this. We don't fully understand. I don't fully understand the shame that was attached to this moment, but obviously it was very shameful. And, uh, and to the point where he said, you know, t- you're, you're going to be cursed and your son Canaan. So he brings in Canaan, his son, in this, and it's like, okay, so there's going to be a generational attachment to this moment. And we actually see it through the rest of history. We just see this dysfunction. Actually, when we, we see this passage, you get to the end, and people use this passage for so many years um, incorrectly because they used it to justify slavery, right? Because it, it's, that's what it's talking about. It's like, 
Japheth live in the tents of Sham, and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. So they're like, well, then slavery's okay because Noah said it was going to be okay, and then they justify slavery for generations. It's like, whoa, 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 that's not God's heart. God didn't say this. Noah said it, right? And so, so you see justification for things that you take one verse out of context. You can take a lot of scripture out of context and abuse it and actually use it to manipulate and control people, and we've seen that in the past, right? And um, we got to look at the full story. We need to understand God's heart and God's character and what's going on in the scene, okay? So we're going to actually see some, some ramifications, though, attached to what just happened um, because we see these three sons— actually, we're going to read in a moment, become the nations. And the, this tension that started with these brothers continued as those nations grew. And those tensions between the nations actually started at the root in this moment. Why? Well, when you go back to Genesis 8, a chapter before, um, you s- where am I? Oh, no, I didn't put it up here. This is what it says. It says Genesis 8.21 is where, where like God was making the covenant and saying he's not going to curse the ground anymore. He says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. So the inclination of the human heart didn't change from the flood. Like they still came out sinners and with free will. And that we see that still happen all through the Old Testament. We still have, see it today, right? Like that is a part of where we live today that we have free will but we have this broken thing called sin in this world so sin plus free will equals just great brokenness doesn't it you see it in your own life in your own heart and then we see it like culturally then we see it nation upon nation like sin is just a it's a nasty thing it's a broken thing and so we're gonna we're gonna look at the beginning of the nations here in just a minute because so far in Genesis, we've, we've, we've learned about the beginnings of plants, of animals, right? We've, we've learned uh, the, the creation, the beginnings of humans, that God made us in his image, in the Trinity, in their image that we were created. Creation of marriage and that relationship of a husband and wife and the oneness attached to that. The beginnings of sin, but also the beginnings of the gospel in, in, um, in, in the, the curse on the serpent, that there will be a descendant that's going to crush his head. That's Jesus. We learn later that Jesus crushes Satan's head, right? So we see all these beginnings, and now we're getting into not like, it's the beginning of nations, okay? So if you have fill in the blanks, that's what we're talking about. The beginning of nations now, okay? Not just people, but now groups of people and, and, um, and what they're going to do. So we're going to read Genesis 10, 1 through 32, the whole chapter, and, um, and I'm not going to read all the names, y'all, okay? So like, if you've read it this week and you're like, oh boy, like, <laughs> there's a lot of names in here, there are going to be some, and those folks, like, okay, that's how I'm going to say it. Um, but there are some characters as we read that you're going to be like, oh, wait, a, oh, those, you're going you're gonna to hear names, whether you read it or not, that are familiar um, because they become cities, they become nations, right? They become people groups, um, and this is the birth of the nation. So, so let's hop into it. Genesis chapter 10, um, starting verse 1. So then this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. So they're starting to have kids, and they're starting to multiply, and they want to subdue the earth. They want to spread out, because that was God's command. They're, they're, God's command wasn't to, like, make one city and all of you hang out together. He's like, no, no, no. The, the command is, go, be fruitful, and multiply. Like, subdue the land. Go all over the place. Just don't go in one land. And we're going to see in a moment how they were breaking God's rule, like, right from the beginning of what he told them to do as a people— 
And so now we have this account. Now, if you've read chapter 10 and chapter 11, this is how, this is how it kind of goes together. Chapter 10 and chapter 11, it's almost like chapter 11 should be before chapter 10, because chapter 11 says how it happened and why it happened, but chapter 10 says this is the who of what it happened to. So we see a list of names, and then we see this history of how it happened. Okay, is everybody with me? And you'll see that in the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament. You'll see events like that where it's like you read one chapter, and, like, and then you read the next chapter, and like, wait a minute, was that supposed to be, how, how was that? And because they didn't, they, weren't, they were writing to let us know, right? They were writing to, to give us understanding of this historical events. And so they might write one thing, like a genealogy, and then they'll write the story of how it happened, even though it was before. Does that make sense? So when you read, you just have to understand that and how that works when you read. So here we go. Shem, Ham, Japheth. It says, so then the sons, Japh, uh, the sons of Japheth, and then we start to get names of the sons of Japheth. Gomer, Magog, uh, Madai, Javan, and the rest of the, the clan. And the sons of Gomer, this isn't Gomer Pyle, by the way. Golly. You know, this is like a different Gomer. So the sons of Gomer, and then the, so he has sons, and Ashkenash, Nash, and Rash, and McIntyre, and then, then the sons of Javan, uh, you'll see some names. Elisha, Tarshish. Is that familiar? That's a city. Uh, the, the Kittites, the Rodanites, the Rodans. Um, no. From these, now this is important, uh, the, the maritime peoples spread out to their territories by their clans within their nations, each with their own language. And this word maritime, it gives the imagery of islands or going out into the sea and going now from, from not just the mainland, now they're spreading out beyond other nations. So this is the clan that started to do that and, and making boats. Now that they knew how to, they had the ark, they knew how to make a boat. So they started going to other places. It says the sons of Ham. Now these are the sons that are, and it's, it's not, you know, brown sugar, and like, it's, that's not the kind of ham we're talking about, okay? So the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, does that name sound familiar? Uh, Put and Canaan, is that familiar too, right? So you see these names become cities, right? These individuals go to these lands. These lands, they're now named from the founders of these cities and nations. The sons of Rama, right? Sheba and Data and Cush, was the father of Nimrod. Now, this gets really interesting because it gets specific about Nimrod. It goes on a little story about Nimrod. And like, for me, I always thought Nimrod was like, yeah, Nimrod. Like, it's not a good word, like, to say. But so, like, but this is like Nimrod as, like, listen to who this guy is, okay? He's actually uh, not a good character when it comes to history here. Who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the language is kind of hard when you get back to the original in the Hebrew because it's, is, it's not like he was a warrior for the Lord. It's not necessarily he was the good guy, but he was before the Lord. I mean, he was under the, the Lord saw what Nimrod was doing, right? And so all, everybody knew that this guy was a warrior. Like this guy took over things and he led and controlled and, and listened to the cities. So the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, all right, so from that land he went on to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. So we see this, Nimrod, and we see some key cities like Babylon, right? We learn later that Babylon is the center of secularism, right? They're worshiping other gods, not, not the god of of our, not our God, right? Like the, the idols and idolatry and witchcraft and all sorts of stuff. And so we see Nimrod actually started these nations 
And a lot of these nations become unholy places, the places of, of conquering and conquest, of rule and control. And so you, you, you see this start to happen right at the very beginning at the birth of these nations, right? Then we have Egypt was the father of the Luddites, the Ananites, a lot of tights, all right? Um, the, and the Philistines came. Uh, Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and the Hittites, the Amorites, all right? Hivites, not the parasites, but... And then later, the Canaanite clans scattered, okay? And then it says, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon to Jerar to Gaza towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma. So do you see some of these names, right? These are the sons of Ham by their clans and their languages in their territories and nations. So we see this son, some not good things coming out, right? This is the attachment of Canaan, where Noah said, Canaan, your generations are just some evil's going to come out here. Some bad separation, and, and we're going to see things like Sodom, Gomorrah, Nineveh, you know, um, Babylon, like we see these nations that raise up, and still today we see these same conflicts that were birthed because of this lineage and history back to the three sons of Noah. It's, it's pretty interesting. All right, let's, let's keep going. I'm only at 20. So here we go. So the sons were also born to Shem. Now, this is very important to, to understand the word Shem or the name Shem um, is, is where we get our word Sem and Semite, anti-Semitism. So these are the nations that you would be anti-Semitic towards from this son, Shem. That's where that word comes from, okay? So whose older brother was Japheth, Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Now, Eber is the root word where we get the word today, Hebrew. Eber is Hebrew. So this is the Hebrew nation. So from Shem comes the Hebrew nation, which becomes God's chosen bloodline, that we're going to see of the seed of Eve, and we're going to follow that then through the rest of the Old Testament and not the other brothers because we're following the narrative that God is showing us of his bloodline, his promise, his seed, okay? And so Shem was the ancestor of all the sons. Eber, the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, and the rest of them, uh, the sons of Aram, Uz, and those guys, and then some more, the father Eber, so Hebrew. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, not Pegleg. This isn't the beginning of pirates, all right? Um, Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided, his brother was named Joktan um, and continues a lot of names of all the things that they had, all right? Um, the region where they lived stretched from Mesha towards Sephar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and their languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Okay, so like I said, this is like, there's a lot in here, right? Like if you wanted to take time and like study all the names and like get the roots of all the, like you could spend a lot of time understanding what was going on and all the genealogies attached to, you know, what was happening. Now, why is this in here? Because these are real people. Like, this is our history. This is the history of the nations, and this is the history of the world, and we see some things on the world. Now, I want to have some fun here, and, and last week I talked about this cool thing called Google Earth, and I want to show you what we're talking about on Google Earth, all right? Does anybody love tech? 
stuff. All right, we're going to have some fun. So this is Google Earth. <clears throat> now, on Google Earth, let me zoom out a little bit, just for the fun of it. Woo, are you getting dizzy? All right, so this is Google Earth. This is the planet we live on, right? Everybody hold on. Woo. All right, so nobody felt that. Last week, I talked about, I talked about the ark, and then we talked about the waters coming up from underneath the ground, the waters that came from the heavens, which was that barrier and that vapor canopy that broke loose, and then the rain came from clouds. So all three of these locations, and I showed you a picture of the, the rift, right, the, the, the ocean rift, this line that goes through the middle of all of these continents, right? And it starts all the way up here at the North Pole, and it goes all the way down through between all of this. So we talked about this last week, that the land before was what they call Pangaea, right? Before the flood. And it's interesting when you follow this rift, and it's Google Earth is so cool. You follow the rift all the way down, all the way up underneath Africa, all the way around this continent. And let's see where this rift starts. Hmm, I'm following it, I'm following it, I'm following it. Interesting, it starts near Israel. We have this view that we can look at. Like, this is God's account. This is what happened at the, the flood. It started in the homeland in Israel. That's, this is why Israel is a big deal, y'all. Like, this isn't just a big deal. Um, like, it's been a big deal since this moment, since the very beginning, because God has his hand on this land, and it's going to be the place in Jerusalem where Christ returns to reign. That's, there's, there's just a lot to that. I, I don't have time to go into all of it. But this is the land we're talking about here at the very beginning um, where he's talking about the things that happen. So over here is Mount Ararat. So Mount Ararat is in Turkey. So this is the country Turkey up here. And this is where Noah's Ark landed. Um, there's been expeditions. There's been people who have said they've seen Noah's Ark up there. You can watch a lot of different documentaries about that. It's pretty interesting if you want to study it. So from there, they started to spread you know, they came out and they, they started taking over this land and they started to spread over here. Here's Jerusalem up here, right? Um, let me make this north and south again, reset to north. There we go. Um, and so here's Jerusalem and you hear this other place called Babylon. So Babylon is over here. So we have all this land that's mentioned, you know, Canaan, all these people, people groups that are birthed. Now, um, when you see where the, um, where the brothers and the nations start to spread, you hear the different areas in which they spread to because these created the three different people groups um, that we see. And these uh, people groups, I'm looking at my notes. Where did I put that? Oh, I didn't put it on here. I put it up here, didn't I? So we have these people groups that were born so Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and these three people groups. Now, I want to go up to the other map, just the graphic I have, um, if you can throw that up there for me. There you go. So this is, this is like a Bible map. So if you've got like maps in the back of your Bibles, those are really cool because it shows you stuff like this. So these are the regions where the brothers and the nations started to spread out. So you can see uh, Shem, the... the the Semites, right, the Hebrew nation um, there, and 
taken up to Babylon in that area. Then you see Ham. He more went towards Egypt and into Africa. And then Japheth went north. And you think about like where Russia is. Russia's up near north of the Caspian Sea. And then to the northwest up there became all the European nations. And that is from that root of Japheth. And that family group started to birth those nations in Europe. And so they started to spread to these different lands and to these different nations. And it, it's just interesting to see because still today, it's the same conflicts that started back in the Old Testament. That started with this word from Noah saying, you're going to, you know, that, that Ham's going to serve Shem and Japheth is going to be in the tents of Shem, but Shem is going to be the one that received the blessing and the line And as the nations come out, they're still trying to take over the same land that was promised, that was promised to the Hebrews and to the Hebrew nation. So anyways, it's just really interesting. Is that interesting to anybody? So that's what we're talking about. These are the people groups. So Shem was the birth of the Arabian people. Ham was the African nation and the African people. And Jephthah was then the European nations. And all these people groups started to spread out. Now, we're going to see something happen, though, because now we go to chapter 11, and we see why the spreading started to happen, and what God was seeing in the people, okay? So, so let's, let's jump ahead, because we saw the birth of nations out of those people groups, but now we're going to be talking about the beginning of languages, and, uh, and we see at the verse, at the top of chapter 11, um, the birth of language with these nations. Okay, so let's, let's hop into it then in ch- the top of chapter 11. How did all this happen? Why did the, all this happen? That's what it says. Now the whole world had one language and a, and a common speech. Uh, as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, Babylonia, Babylon, and settled there. And so you saw it on the map. They all moved there and they settled and they were just getting more and more people and growing, growing, and growing. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. He said, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, they were told to scatter over the face of the whole earth, right? That's what God told them to do. Go out, be fruitful, multiply, like subdue the land, like spread out from here and start taking over all the other territories. They said, no, let's hang out here. Let's make ourselves great. The human heart was still in the same place. Look at us. Look at what we can do. And so that's what ended up happening. And you see in Babylon, who was the guy that helped plant Babylon was Nimrod. So don't be a Nimrod, all right? right? Like, don't be, don't be the guy that's, like, completely rebelling against God because that's what he was doing. We see that he was one of the ones that was leading the charge of this, obviously, um, and became this great warrior to say, see, let's be great. Let's be great before God, or else we're going to be spread and scattered, and we don't want that. We want to be a great city, a great people, a great nation. But verse 8 says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. So God was not blind to what was going on, and he still isn't today. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, 
then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That is a very interesting verse, isn't it? Like he saw that that they were doing, trying to do a great thing. They obviously were figuring out engineering. They were figuring out, you know, building and and how to do it in a way that was strong. And he's like, the problem here is, I believe this is okay. This is Tim talking. Okay, this isn't. I'm inter- injecting this into what I'm reading here. But when we think about why he destroyed the earth in the first place, it's because man's heart was corrupt. And all he saw was evil. And everybody's intent was evil. And, uh, and obviously at that point, the civilization we, we read, it was probably around 740, 750, maybe a billion people on the planet when that happened, right? There's a lot of people on the planet. Um, that when people with their evil are able to be innovative but still have the heart of evil, bad things happen. Think about all the wars that we've had, World War I, World War II. Probably the most innovation happened because of war. Uh, our family just went down to uh, Dayton to the Air Force Museum down there, which is amazing. It's so cool. If you've never been down there, it's really cool seeing all these airplanes and how fast we went from the Wright brothers to like aluminum frame dual prop planes. Like it was like 20 years. And then boom, to jets, to, and then, then, then warheads. And then it's like, this happened really fast. Um, and so imagine if all these people stayed in one place and they're this innovative and this, how much the evil heart could have taken root and how quickly it would have been not good because Nimrod was leading the charge, right? And so he says, if one of them, speaking the same language, had begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us, and this is where we see the Trinity again, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, saying, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Now, have, have you ever been in an, another country where you didn't really know the language? Anybody ever been in a country like that where it's like it can be really confusing? There, uh, there's, we've been to a lot of different countries. Um, and I remember when we were younger, Nikki and I went to Germany a couple of times. And, and one time it was late. It was, I don't know what, it was probably like 11 at night. And we had to figure out how to use the trains and the, and the you know, uh, public transit to get back to the missionary's house that we were staying at. And it was on a different part of the city and it was outside of the city. And nothing was in English where we were. Like all the train stations, I knew a little bit of German, like Eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf. I knew how to count, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I didn't know German, German. Like I didn't, I, and we were sitting on a train station and we're supposed to get on the train that's on this side, but nothing was ever coming. And there's a train on this side that, that would come and then go and would come again. And there was a sign there. And we, I had no idea what the heck the sign said. And this is 11 o'clock in a foreign land. And how do we get home? Okay. So at this point, language, we we're starting to get a little fearful because we don't know where we're at. Is this a safe part? And, you know, we're like crazy Americans and we're young. So that makes us crazy, stupid, young Americans, you know. And so like somebody's going to come and try and rob us. Or I don't know what's going to happen, right? Um, and then finally, this, it seems like a younger guy, and I'm thinking, this guy knows English, and he did know English, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, just wait here, it'll come, and, and then he hops on this train on this side, and then he disappears, and still no train comes. I'm like, oh, this guy was being a jerk, is what it was. 
And that was exactly what was going on. He just wanted to sit there at the train station forever. And this tension, because we didn't understand, we couldn't read what we needed to read so that we couldn't do what we needed to do to get where we needed to get, you know? It took a long time for us to be like, we're getting on that train. I don't know where it's going. But it did. It took us right where we needed to be. And we got there. I don't know what time it was, but it was late when we finally got to their house. Not being able to communicate in language, man, it creates barriers, doesn't it? And so we think about this moment where, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, let's go down and we're going to confuse their language. What they were building at one point, they could all communicate, all be on the same page, all engineering, all hands on deck. Now they can't talk to each other because they are looking at each other and now they're saying languages. They're like, I have no idea what you're saying and they don't know what you're saying and they don't know what they're saying. That would just halt a construction site, wouldn't it? You had a bunch of people and none of them spoke the same language. You would have a weird looking construction site is what you would have. Some measuring in meters, some measuring in inches and feet, and it'd be like all over the place. And this is what he did. He confused the languages in this moment. So now you have nations in different languages. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, or Babylon, right? Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so now, now you go back to chapter 10, right? And then you read chapter 10, and now you see as they started to scatter, and you see the lineage, and you see the names, and, and then the cities that are attached to those names, and they start to scatter and go all over the earth. Now, what can we learn from this? Well, a few things. One Sin is sin, and it's been sin since sin entered in, right? Like, the, it, we, we see in the New Testament just three sins are listed, and one of the big ones is the sin that's called the pride of life. And that's the sin we see attached here. It's the pride of life. They, they thought of themselves more than they thought of God. Look at us. Look what we can make. Look what we can do, and we're going to show ourselves off. Because that's who we are. We're a people. And we're going to prove to God that we don't need him. And we still do the same thing today. That, that heart, that sin, that, 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 that thing in us that leads to disobedience and rebellion, like even when we know we're choosing something wrong, even when we know it's going to hurt when we do it, we still do it, right? We still choosing. It's like, why do we do that? And that's that free will and sin combined to lead us to rebellion and disobedience. And it's, ah, it, it, we can see that it breaks God's heart. I mean, we saw that in the, so far that when we sin, it affects God some, somehow. He is emotionally responsive to when we do that. And he doesn't let sin just go without consequences. I mean, for them, the sin was that they didn't obey the only command that he gave them. Go, be fruitful, and multiply. Subdue the earth. Go. And that's the only thing he told them to do. <laughs> and they're like, nope. <sighs> Have you ever had a two-year-old? And you could say the one thing not to do, and what do they want to do? The one thing that you told them not to do, and it's still in us, right? It's still in us. It says, even from childhood. That's what he said. The human heart is evil. There's just this, this thing inside of us. But here's the cool thing that we see. When you walk in obedience, 
and you walk into faithfulness in God's word, you get to experience the promises of God. And both are our free will choice. I'd rather not be the nation that gets torn down and ripped apart, you know. But a people who walk in obedience to God's word and get to live into the promises he has attached to that. So here's the fill in the blank for this. Obedience guarantees God's promises. If God made a promise in Scripture and he, he put something that we're called to do to walk into that promise, when you walk into it, that promise is guaranteed, right? But rebellion always leads to hard consequences every single time. There's no way around that one. When you walk into disobedience, there will be difficult consequences. There'll be hard things you're going to have to go through. Now, we also know, though, we can't use this equation backwards, okay? This, this equation works forwards, okay? I'm not a math dude, so don't, I, you start adding letters into math, I'm like, What? Right? Like, so when we think about equations, there's a certain way an equation works, but if you try to turn it backwards, it's not going to work anymore. This is the same thing. Some people try to flip this and then say, okay, but if I'm going through hard consequences, that must mean I've been in rebellion or sin. That isn't true. It doesn't work backwards. You may go through hard things in this life, but it may not be because you did anything to make it happen. Okay? So I don't want us to put a false doctrine on top of a true doctrine. You with me? Because we are going to go through hard things. Jesus said it. You're going to go through hard things. But don't worry. I am with you. That Jesus has promised he will walk through with us in the hard things. And those hard things come because this world is a fallen world, right? This isn't perfect. You're going to get sick, which sucks. You, you, you may get cancer. Um, you may have anxiety. You may have mental health issues. You may, you may like, lose a job. You may, like, you, you're going to go through hard things. But those hard things doesn't mean that then God left me. Or, or it's not because, well, I'm a sinner, so I'm getting what I deserve. Not necessarily, no. Now, if you did something in absolute rebellion, you will have consequences. That math always adds up. There are always consequences. Even when you're forgiven of the sin that you do, the consequences still send, tend to play out, right? If I kill somebody and I murder them and they're dead and I go to the court and say, but I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Well, you might be able to receive forgiveness, but you're still going to jail. You with me? There's, when we make bad decisions, there's still consequences. But when we walk in obedience to God, if he promises something in your life, if we read a scripture, here is a promise from God, and he says, if you dot, 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 then God dot, 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 well, if I dot, 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 he has to because he promised to do what he said he's going to do. So when we walk in obedience, it guarantees God's promises in our life. But rebellion, I promise you, will always lead to hard consequences. We have the free will to choose. They did then, we still do today. Our hearts are still in, have this inclination to evil and stupidity, just like theirs did. But we can choose. Let's choose to walk in obedience. Let's choose to walk into God's promises. Because we're about to jump into the last part of chapter 11, which leads to the beginning of God's great promises, okay? 
And so let's, let's wrap this message up in Genesis 11, starting now in verse 27. And this is where all of this nations and all these things and the families and all that coming to Shem and Shem's generation and genealogy is going to lead us to the promise that points to Messiah, okay? And so this, this is the last point. We're going to finish with this, that this is the seed of Eve that we talked about at the fall. When, when God cursed the serpent and said the, uh, um, um, the descendant, capital D, that he will crush your head. That the he is Jesus and he is from the seed of Eve and we see that lineage that Satan continually tries to get rid of the seed of Eve. Satan is still trying to do it even today in the war that's happening in Israel today. Satan is trying to remove the seed of of Eve to break this promise, but God will not. He has already accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish. And we're going to get to read the promises starting next week with Abraham. And so this is what it says now in Genesis eleven twenty seven through 32. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram. Everybody know that name? Abram becomes Abraham. Ham, Abra, Abraham, right? Delicious. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife is Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife is Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishka. Great names. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. This is a very important part of the story. This is the very beginning where God chooses to do the impossible to prove he is God. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they sent out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. If you see chapter 11, you can start to see, like I said earlier, the lifespans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter, right? Because that water vapor barrier that created the greenhouse effect before the flood is gone. There's no longer that protection from the UV, and things are deteriorating a lot quicker than they did before. Plants, animals, humans, and that lifespan shrinks and shorts. And you see that in the records as we read the history of the beginnings of us. And so this leads to next week, which is honestly probably... We're going to hear the most important beginnings of God's promise. And, um, and so this is like a to-be-continued sermon. <laughs> like a, it's like a cliffhanger. Like, what's going to happen with Abram, right? Um, but I just have a few more points that I, that I want to bring out. Because we see in the Old Testament in this moment that God, to protect people from themselves, confuses their language. And then he spreads them out amongst all the nations. When you see when Jesus... Before he ascended into heaven, after he died, he rose again, he conquered death, the tomb is empty. He teaches after that and it shows up to you know, hundreds of people that he is the resurrected son of God, the Messiah. 
And he talks to his disciples and says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Wait in the city until the Holy Spirit shows up. And it's on this day that we call Pentecost, right? And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and it, and it says the place was shaken, the wind was roaring, and these, these flaming tongues, things that looked like tongues that were on fire, came and rested upon the disciples to where they started speaking in a power they did not have before and in languages they could not speak before. And they went out into the streets where all of the Hebrew nations, all the Jews from all around that spoke different languages showed up for Passover. And now they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, what God had just shown them and what they just experienced, a risen Savior in their own languages. In this point of history, God confused the languages to bring separation. When the Holy Spirit showed up, he brought the languages to bring unity and to spread the good word, the gospel. I'm glad we're living in the New Testament time because we can preach the gospel in every tongue and language. There's over 3,800 languages. That's a lot. There are still people groups who do not have a Bible in their own language. That right now, there is a huge, a large group of unified ministries. It's called Finishing the Task to bring God's Word to their language and that these unreached, lost people groups would hear this gospel message. We live in a time where on my phone, I can speak my language and then it speaks it to them. I have technology that does it. The Holy Spirit does it. Like we all, there's... There's this one thing happening. And just so you know, when we read, and I'm not, I, I, at some point in my life, I hope to be able to study the end times and study Revelation and go deeper into the prophecies. I'm not that guy. I'm not that preacher. I'm not, I don't get the charts out. I don't, like, I, I don't have that stuff. But what I do know is that what we're seeing today is drawing closer to Christ's return. That's all I know. And that he has already promised that he is the way to God. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he died on the cross. He crushed Satan's head. And you do not have to live condemned. You can live saved. And today, if you want to walk into that gift and that relationship, if you want, and, and you know your own heart's rebellious, like, and, and the Holy Spirit's probably doing something inside of you right now, but if you want a relationship with God, you can have it right now. There's nothing hindering you except for your own confession and your own faith. It says if you believe in your heart that, that God sent his son Jesus and Jesus is the son of God, and he died and rose again, you will be saved. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And today, if that's you, I'm going to invite you into God's story. And you get to walk into his promises. So that's you right now. Let's just take a time and pray. And I would ask you just to pray to God right now and just say, you can just say this. I, I, again, I'm not, I don't have magic words, okay? This is, has to be your confession, but you can just say, God, I don't know everything. I don't know all the Bible, but I do know that I've sinned. And I know I need forgiven of my sin. Today, God, I'm confessing that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross to pay for my sin and that he conquered death and the tomb is empty and he is alive and that I want to be alive with him forever. 
Would you enter into my life, God? Would you save me and forgive me? I want to be yours now and forever. Give me your spirit and fill me with your love and your peace and help me walk with you, God. And I just ask this in Christ's holy and perfect name alone. Amen. And God, for all of us this morning, as this has just been a teaching, but we all know that there's the rebellious parts of our hearts. And those of us who are Christians in this room, in the ways that we walk in disobedience, and the ways that we keep trying to rebel, even though we don't want to, but it's still in there, would you reveal those things, and would you help us walk in freedom from them? Would you forgive us, God? And we're grateful when we ask for forgiveness, we see the promise, you forgive immediately. And so, so lead us into that forgiveness and help us walk more humbly before you. Help our hearts to be for you. Help our desires not to be things of this world, but to be for you. And help us represent heaven well, God. And I just ask this in Christ's holy and perfect name. Everybody said amen. Awesome. Well, I